want to get back your weekends on the farm, want to go on that holiday, want to do those one percenters that you never get around to. Well, g'day and welcome to the Farms of Ice podcast where we cover everything farming. Before the end of the episode, we want to make sure that you've subscribed to yourself and this podcast. Help this farmer-led podcast help other farmers do just that. You know, as they say, time is money, so let's get into this episode. So this whole idea of human interaction as a core business process is really what what drives um, us. So we're getting a little bit podcast nerdy here by breaking into the episode, but I just got that little snippet because how this episode sort of pans out and what I wanted to get out of this episode is about building culture and the questions to ask within your own farming, whether you're a two-man team or you're just trying to make yourself accountable as a one-person team. Um, But there's plenty of family farms out there that need to improve the culture or they're wanting to improve the culture. Um, Just the human interaction as... Stuart said just before and how that plays a huge role in us being successful. Uh, It can be considered as the wishy-washy part of Australian agriculture, but it's probably the core of all what we do. We want people to have the best life possible. We want them to succeed on farm. We want them to be making the biggest profits that we can um, with the little margins that we're given but we want to improve that, but we also want to improve our culture, our people, our community alongside that. And this encaptures a bit of the ethos of what Farms Advice is about. So I'm glad to get Stuart Wesley back on the podcast. Um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating, this sort of topic and where it can go. And a lot about building capacity within our people and within ourselves as workers, producers within agriculture. And it's probably another question that we could ask Stuart a little later on about building capacity within ourselves, but also our people in agriculture. But nonetheless, get into this episode, eh? Right, well, Stuart, Wesley, welcome back to the Farms Wise podcast. Great to have you here. And great to be here. Thanks, Jack. And hello to all your listeners. Perfect. And... Just like to go off the back of the other one, it was creating culture within family farming. Um, and this is probably the next step into what we were doing. That got a really good reception um, and some great feedback off the back of that. And it got shared a fair few times on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, I believe. So it's good. Great to hear. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. For those new listeners on here, um, what you do, and a bit of about your background and how you got there. So um, the business that I am a co-owner of uh, is Oasis People and Culture. And we talk about, you know, creating creating culture really one conversation at a time. So this whole idea of human interaction as a core business process is really what, what drives um, us. I guess in one way you could say it is we we want to help create the sort of mature relationships that are now enable not only high performance but just for people to enjoy life, you know, and, and to enjoy working because it's so much so much of our life, you know, and 
So kind of helping organisations not only be profitable but be be more human places for people to um, to work in. And so that's that's what really drives us. Um, we got involved in farming uh, through our engagement with AgWorld. We had a long-term partnership with AgWorld, um, helping with their people and culture. And then um, uh, High Wealth Families came onto the radar for us through a, a different series of events and turned out Ag High Wealth Farming, sorry, Ag High Wealth Families sort of um, fitted, fitted together and, um, and that's what took us in that direction. Personally, um, for me, it's like coming home, not not so much to ag, but to family enterprise because I come from a family business family and I have seen um, and experienced firsthand what, what can happen in family business, both positively, but also probably more negatively what can happen in those spaces as well. So, um, so that's how I arrive um, here today. Beautiful. And when has this sort of topic been around, do you think, people and culture and improving it within agriculture specifically? It's really um, becoming far more on people's radar. And, um, and and I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but, you know, we've had a couple of farming families now where there's no conflict. They just know that, you know, they've got a next generation coming in and the complexities are ramping up with the relationships. And they just know that if they don't invest in the human part, that's a massive risk, not only to the business, but also to their, you know, to the dynamics of their family, you know. And so so it's really coming onto people's radar a lot more. So, often, you know, we'll get calls from all sorts of businesses when there's conflict, but now there's much more um we need to invest proactively. And that's what we would really encourage because it's, it's certainly a lot easier to do the work that we do when there's not animosity and resentment and conflict and all of that going on. Yeah, for the listeners, for like those with the two, three band sort of teams, family teams, um, then also moving into family corporates, they're like it's 2023 now and everyone's sort of scaling out, buying their neighbours out if, they're not passing on their package of land um, and also their knowledge, their skill, how that goes for it. And as a podcast, HPF, I was thinking about it for like high performance farmers and how can we become um, hitting our sort of hitting the right notes within the farming game. We want to sell our lamb, our crops for the greatest margins that we can, but are we forgetting this appeal of improving our culture, whether it be with your old man, your mum, um, or with the wider team? You know, I think, yeah, you, you want to make you want to make money. You know, you want to sell your crops for the maximum price and get the best yields, at, you know, across the industry. But you, you actually want to, people want to live a life that they like. And lives that you like end up being, how's my relationship with my partner? How's, how are my kids going? How's the next generation flourishing? What's the significant capital base we've now got? How's that's being used to enrich the lives of those that are coming next? These are the sorts of questions that I think are underneath those more sort of operational questions of, you know, yields and profits and that sort of thing. Um, so, 
you know, high performance for for us. I mean, we work with we work in people, and high performance for us is actually all about your people being your strategic edge, if you like. Um, yeah, Did that answer your question, Jack. Here or there, that's good enough for me. Um, I just confess I forgot the question halfway through that. <laughs> I do that most of the time as well, but creating high performance sort of um, cultures, like knowing where to start, whether you're first, third or eighth generation as a farmer um, or you're looking to come into farming, maybe within an agribusiness, like how do we actually start? Like there's already an existing culture, whether it's positive or negative, right? And how, how do, do you work within that? Um, or just ask what it is. Do you need to sort of set foundations of is it a positive or a negative one? What's your reasoning to proving it? You mean, um, you know, what, what's the trigger that makes you want to start working on culture? Is that the question? Yeah, whether you're trying to get the most out of your people yourself um, or you've noticed an issue where I think like we should focus on this to improve our daily routines, to improve our outlook, to be happier in life as you say i think you're going to notice things going on that you're not happy with so and and there are things you know there might be you know there might be arguments happening for example and that sort of thing and that's pretty obvious but it might also be the question you know what conversations am i not willing to have with with a family member or with a co-worker or an employee yeah what am i seeing happen that i'm not happy with and I'm not prepared to have the conversation. And how come I'm not prepared to have the conversation? Is there things like, um, you know, sort of gossip going on? Or um, we in family work we call them triangles, it's called you know triangulation, where you know and you know I've seen situations where two brothers will talk to each other through the father. I've seen that more than once. You know, so they never talk. They want to pass a message through. So if you see those sort of that sort of fracturing of the relationships then it's really I, I think it's it's really a okay we need to do something with culture here because it will break down you know operations like profitability will break down um, when we think about building I mean your question the sort of the overarching question is around high performance yep. so when we think about that, you know, think about, you know, high performance at the top of the triangle, but at the base is trust. If you don't have trust, um, which sounds very soft, you know, it sounds a really soft human thing, but if you don't have trust, you won't even trust people to do that job or you won't trust them to be in a strategic planning session with you or, you know, you, you name it. And then on top of that, there's relationships. You've got to have quality relationships, so trust, quality relationships conversations is the next one and conversations are like the technology of humans around relationships you know we we actually use conversations to get our point of view across to to get um you know to get ac action happening and so often there's um no one's really done much work around the sort of i'm using as kind of a formal title here, but the technology of conversations, because we've been doing it since we were like two years old. Yeah. So it's sort of just a given, but there's actually some really important learning that can go on in that space. And then, 
you know, as you lead to high performance, on top of that, it's about commitments. How do we make commitments with each other and honour those commitments in order to get things done? So, so it's and that it, and there's an there's an interplay between all of that. Uh, it's not just a lineal thing, but it's, so it's trust, relationships, quality conversations, commitments will produce high performance. And uh, and and in our view, you can't walk around the human piece. You, you can't. Um, Technology doesn't solve that. It's just human work that's got to be done. Do you think high performance, like setting your goals for that, is detrimental to the people and the culture rather than like if you are sort of initiating starting this out, should it be looking for standardizing some things, benchmarking, um, and then once you sort of achieve that, got collective sort of expectations, you can go for the high performance and drum down and, to improve on the detail? I think you can, um, I think benchmarking, if you use that term, is a is a good thing to do. Like, um, you know, and, and often the often these family farming businesses are quite small. So, um, but you know, even above five or six people, for example, we we have a trust, a team trust survey that we've developed and has been um sort of past the uh past muster with academic type people and um and so we can use that so we have a framework around trust as an example that trust is um you know there's four elements to trust i trust your competency i trust your reliability i trust your sincerity and i trust your involvement and that that means that you're tuned into what matters to me and we can measure what's going on in a, even a small team um, around those four elements. And that's a great benchmarking tool. So then you do some work and a year later you come back and do it again and you can see sort of with more qualitative um, data, you know, how things are, how things are going. So that, that can be a great starting point. Within like husband and wife teams, they're very common and then the son or daughter or, all the kids or no kids working on the farm. How do you create culture within that? And also do you leave culture at the door when you go home? Like for these partners to become um, pretty well-run sort of farming enterprises, how do you navigate around that? Because you just talk to your partner and it's like, okay, Dale, we need to create some culture between us, um, something healthy that we're making the most of our profits and everything. but we want to go through the the sheep yards, the cattle yards, um, or even harvest without yelling at each other. Is that something that we should be doing as farming enterprises? Well, I think so, but it, you really you're starting to talk about you know marriage issues at that point, you know, and you just in a family business, family enterprise, particularly a small one, you know the the overlap between all of that is is so strong, so. You know, a couple that are, for example, not doing well in their marriage, yeah. probably not going to be making great decisions together. There's probably not going to be, you know, high levels of trust. So same with um, parenting, Jack. You know, the you know, when you talk about marriage and parenting, it sounds very divorced from business. But but actually the biggest risk in, you know, the, the biggest financial risk in family enterprises is poor parenting and divorce. 
So, you know, you really, you know, when you're talking about culture, you're talking about, you're talking about business culture, but you're also very much talking about family culture. What, what sort of family are we building here? As we also build a business, it's like a, um, it's like, you know, that classic um, family business model, the Venn diagram of you've got an ownership structure, you've got a operational business and you've got the family and in the Venn diagram, they all intersect and overlap. So none of it's dealt with discreetly. It's all, it's all on the table all the time. And consistency, no doubt, plays a role in how positive it can be. Yeah, totally. Well, and that's really when you start to talk about culture, um, you know, one of our guys in our team says, you know, if you want to understand culture, listen to the conversations. So listen to the way conversations are conducted in families. Listen to how they're conducted in a, in a workplace. Listen out for the conversations that are not being had and you'll start to get a picture of what the culture's like um, in that in that uh, family or that enterprise. So, and, and, you know, consistency, you know, so many enterprises, so many businesses will talk about values these days, like any, any business will have, you know, values on their homepage or, you yeah, know, their tab and, you know, so often they're just motherhood statements of, you know, honesty and integrity and respect. It's like, I don't even know why those things are values actually. It's like, they just should be a given yeah. across anything, you know. And but my point is, values are fine, but they get lived out in behaviour. Consistently living out the behaviours that you want to see, um, and nobody's off the hook on that. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the owner or on the, you know, sweeping sheds out or something. You know, it doesn't matter. Everyone's got to buy in. Is culture intangible or is it like it is quite tangible? Um, is it something that we can see or is it the sort of the pixie dust in the air sort of things, the the nice to haves sort of stuff? How do we see it and how do we start to notice that it's sort of working? Is it possible or is it just having better relationships? It's the unknowns of shit, I can actually talk to my kids and I'm happy at the end of it. Yeah, I think the answer to your question is yes to all of it um, because I think there is there are things that we can measure. So we can measure levels of trust. Um, we can measure culture around, and this might not be so relevant to a small family farm, but we can measure culture around things like leadership and um, engagement and care and productivity. All those things can be measured which give you a sense of what the culture's doing. But the measurements really, they point you to the conversations that need to be had. Um, that, that's how we treat it. Any data we're collecting, it's like, okay, well, there's something going on here. We need to ask some more questions about that. But then it is also things like retention. If you're losing people hand over fist, if they only stay like one season and then they're out and you never see them again, they never want to come back, that becomes a pattern. Yep. then, you know, that would be something you go, okay, what's going on? And it's easy to blame the other party. But, but you know, it's really, you know, I was just in a family business this week where a key person had resigned. And it was great because they were asking the question, what are we not doing in our business that we lost that person? 
Was it a family member that resigned or no? Oh, it, no, it was just a, a, an employee, but a really key person. And they resigned and the family's saying, what is it about the ecosystem in our business, the culture in our business that didn't allow that person to, um, to flourish and to want to stay um, in this enterprise? And, yeah, I, th I thought it was a great question. And, and in the end, um, we call it the... Um, it's not um, it's not our IP, but we we call it the X model of engagement, where it's like when when you're building culture, you've got to take care of the needs of the individual. There are there are things that individuals want out of their work, yep. and there are also things the organisation needs. And when you get those two things harmonised or aligned, you really start to get high performance. Um, when they're not aligned, you get things like presenteeism where people are showing up for work, but they're not there. You know, they're, they're, they're leaving as early as they can. They're not being productive, et cetera. So there's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of tangible things you can measure. And it's also, you know. Yeah. You know, like I would say AgWorld as an example. Um, I'll use AgWorld because it's you know, well known in the ag industry. But for years and years, I would meet new staff members as they came into the business. And, and overwhelmingly, they would say, there is something different here. Well, they haven't measured anything. But, you know, they, they haven't looked at any data. They're just, they've just got a sense. This is a, this is a good place. Yeah. I, I've gotten that a fair few times. Like I've worked in a few different offices over in London, nothing to do with agriculture, but you just sort of notice those with good culture, like I was keen to sort of bust my ass for and do that little bit extra. And because you got you built those relationships with your boss, your colleagues, um, and that one colleague, if they didn't rock up that day, you had a terrible day sort of thing. Um, yeah. And then also like the other ones that we – we went to the pub at lunchtime nearly every day. Um, but the person at the top didn't create culture, didn't offer anything, just sort of left my managers to their sort of um, up to their own devices, I suppose, and creating that for them. That's what my managers thought they were creating as well. But like actually putting down some framework for culture and having a, a weekly or monthly sort of check-in, um, that leads me into like, the tools of culture and what sort of tools can we use to create culture? Um, does it happen in a toolbox meeting or what is the tools that you're using within family enterprises? Yeah. Great. Um, great comment there. And I, I'm just going to pick up particularly before I go to that question. Yep. Um, you know, you tell the story of the most senior person in the business, not really buying in. And I, and I think that's been our experience over the years that, you know, we, to do culture work, to build culture, you actually need buy-in from, from the board and the CEO or the family leader. You absolutely need buy-in or it won't, it won't happen. It'll just get undermined all the time. Yeah. So that's a, that's a real, that's a given. Um, and it's why, you know, um, when I get calls from farmers, it's, I don't know what the percentage is. It feels like 95% of the time it's the wife is ringing 
And, you know, I just know that she could be really excited about doing the work. And, but, but if her husband is not engaged, there's just, there's just no point. It's not, it's not going to get any traction. Um, so recently I met with a potential um, client. They, they haven't, um, haven't come on board yet. Maybe they, maybe they didn't like me that much. I don't know, but um, it was great. We sat down at about two hour conversation and they were both there. And they were both engaged in the conversation. And I was like, okay, this can really fly because these guys are committed together. So there's there's that point, Jack. Um, I think one of your questions goes to what is the role of a leader in creating culture? And um, we think about it. I'll go back to another um, Venn diagram and I can, I can send you something. You can throw this up on the screen um, later if you want. But... So uh, we call it the WRD model, which means work, relationships, and development. And, and that the role of leaders is to organise work. I mean, and that is pretty obvious. Um, you know, whatever you're producing, um, you know, whether it's widgets or whatever, or you're a farmer, there's work to organise and to get done. And we understand that. But a lot of leaders stop there and they don't realise that actually part of their role, not, not an add-on, but a critical part of their role is developing trust-based relationships because you can't get people to do things. You know, people will, um, people will hide. They, they will, you know, hide information. They won't be honest about things. Something's gone wrong, but they'll keep it from the boss and, you know, all of that stuff can happen. So trust-based relationships, not just to the boss, but among the team, super, super important as a role of the leader to develop that. Yeah. And then developing people is also in there, which is like, what's the learning pathway that's required right now? Talking to a farmer recently whose son is um, taking over basically as a, he's going to take over as a farm manager for a couple of years while they figure out some succession type stuff and if he really wants to do it. And, you know, we identified some gaps in his capability and so went back and said, rightio, uh, what are the learning pathways that need to happen for him to be successful? Let's not get mad at him because he doesn't know. Let's help him. So this development piece is really, really important and, you know, that could involve, you know, in a family farm, that could involve work-based things, but it could involve sort of personal development as well. So those three things become, um, you know, the, the really critical part of um, the role of leadership in developing culture. For sure. Um, like just going back quickly, how, how did you identify the gaps of their sort of learning curve um, to get them up to scratch to be able to take on the management of the farm. Oh, that was that was basically, you know, in that situation, that was a conversation with the father and mother, the son himself, and their ag consultant. Yep. You know, we we just talked that around and start, you know, and the father was complaining, oh, he doesn't do this, doesn't do that. It's like, well, hang on a sec. A, you probably haven't taught him. 
Um, but <laughs> there might be a gap there. But B, this doesn't count him out. This just means he needs learning. So there was just, you know, the family and a couple of professionals just talked it through and said, oh, okay, so, oh, you know, and so these organisations, um, when I can't, can't remember not right now, but, you know, they have some programs in this space that's yep. put into that. And so that's how we worked it out. It wasn't very high tech. It was just have a conversation and and figure it out. Now, there's a few things at our farm that, like, recently even, um, I come across and was like, oh, hang on, I've never actually been shown how to do this or whatever we do. And it happens so much on family farms. You just, as the children on a farm, you get assumed that you know how to do that. And then you assume for so long and then you end up doing it um, probably the same. But you never know, like, is that the correct way? Am I getting the best out of this sort of, this element of the farm? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that. Um, you learn a lot by osmosis, right, as... Um you know, as when you're part of a family, you know, like three of my four kids are teachers, right? Well, they've got a father who's sort of in learning and development, that sort of work, and they, three out of the four of them, was just a natural thing. So that happens by osmosis, but, yeah, this explicit thing. So when, so going back and saying, well, how do we build culture? What are the things that you need to do? So there's leadership responsibilities around the, you know, and I've described them as, organising work, um, nurturing trust-based relationships and developing people. But then there's got to be intentional structure. So you've pointed to like toolbox meetings and yeah. and, and things like that. So they become, um, yeah, and if you, don't, if you don't set intention about this stuff, it just won't happen. And the intention might be on Monday mornings we stand in front of a whiteboard and we've got a list and we have a conversation about what we did and didn't do last week. That that's that might be, it, it doesn't have to be some, you know, incredible um, technique. It could be as simple as that. Um, there might be lack of clarity around roles. So getting some intentional structure about being clear about that sort of thing. Um, the intentional structure of engagement with each other might be, you know, we have a um, we have a weekly toolbox meeting. We have a daily WhatsApp check in. We have a you know every season you know um, you know for seeding or harvest, we do a half day planning session. And every year we have a uh, you know a two day off site where we go down to Sydney or Perth or something, and we have a nice time in the city and we plan out the coming. Yeah, these are all intentional structures that bring clarity and that um, that help things form. And then there might be things like, um, like we did a uh, partnership agreement um, with this in this farm, and and as an intentional structure, we talked about conflict. When there's conflict, here's how you'll do it. And if you can't resolve it, um, you agree together to engage an external person to mediate, and that was me. We agree we're going to engage Stuart to mediate conflicts um, so that we can get to a, a good decision and a, and a good outcome. They're all intentional structures um, that can be thought through. And, and, you know, it can sound complicated. It's, it's really simple. 
It's just get, get people together and have conversations. So I guess the third part there would be conversational competence, which we touched on earlier, but um, often in families and businesses, just humans actually, the ability to have conversations, particularly difficult conversations, is often quite low. And, um, you know, how can my wife and I, this is actually a true story, how can we be discussing what colour will we paint the wall and we've got, you know, 10 different shades of white on the wall and suddenly we've gotten to, why don't you ever trust me? And it's like, what? <laughs> how do we get there? How do we get to trust from different paint colours? But that's, and we're pretty good. Like we know this stuff, we're pretty good at it. But even for us, we get to those places occasionally as well. It's like, oh my goodness. So conversational competence. And then I think the final piece would be if you don't document things, um, then they'll just evaporate. So and so that goes to role descriptions and, and such, but it also goes to you might have decided you're going to be on a development pathway. Well, document it and document progress and that sort of stuff. So there's a leadership responsibility, there's intentional structure, there's conversational competence, and there's the ability to document it. Does that sound a bit overdone for a family farm? Is that a question? That's a question to you, yeah. I was interested in how you heard that. I think it, I think it is for the average family farm, but I think it's well needed um, to get past that. And I don't think you see the value until you actually see a trend on that documentation of, like, this is our processes. Once you have all this in place, you can sort of just relax and lean on these, especially if you have a third-party support. Um, everyone probably should in their business decisions if it's a financial one, whether we should start trading lambs or we should grow the crop where we never had in a virgin paddock. Um, these decisions should be discussed, not argued, um, discussed That's to see what the business is. Um, but I'm a younger farmer trying to maximise or do more out of it as well. But it's interesting, like I'm trying to create my own culture for the podcast, but also for the listeners, the audience, and everyone, like I don't go on Instagram and everything to say I finished the week and I just finished a carton. How mad am I? Um, some piss cutting legend in the header over harvest or something. It's not really what I want to sort of nurture and grow. I can't see like you're going to sink a box of beers and then read a couple of books on the weekend. It just doesn't go two and two, but maybe a bit of consistency or whatnot. And the way I sort of want to. Uh, grow the audience um, to have these conversations, be a bit more personable with your family or whatever. Um, if something's difficult to say, maybe even say it. And if it does turn to shit, get a mediator, someone in there that can help the process to smooth it out. And if we don't bring this stuff up, it's going to just come to the detriment of our farming practice and in the end, losing family farms. Yeah, and, and Jake, let me let me just circle back for a minute because what I've described is like three, four categories. Yeah. Building culture, leadership, intentional structure, conversational competence, and documenting things, right? But here's an intentional structure, and it's not necessarily related to um, 
farming, but to a farming family. Here's an intentional structure. My kids are 10, 12 and 15. Uh, we have an intentional structure that we sit around the table and have dinner each night and we ask each other about each day, about our days. That, that there is an intentional structure, but it's not amazing. Look, it produces amazing results, yep. but it's not like, oh, my goodness, who, who would have ever thought of that? But it is intentional, and you've decided we are going to do this. It's like the toolbox meeting is so easy. Yep. Just, oh, yeah, I was busy, you know, and, and so we didn't have it. But the disciplines are, the disciplines of it are so important. And I think in family enterprises, where everyone knows each other so well, it's so easy to let go of those disciplines to their detriment. And I just, I couldn't say that more strongly. You know, I, I even find this, if I, you know, I've got a few clients I've known for a lot of years and I've got to be so careful because they be, because they can become friends. Yeah. And when they become friends, I can actually not serve them I can I can lose some of my disciplines in my sort of professional serving of them because of the friendship. Same thing in family. So it, this really undermines culture, and uh, and then you're wondering how come we're arguing about everything all the time. I think um like when I go to the supermarket and I well I in London I was doing marketing so I was like not going to be sold to for that product or something but is it the same within businesses when like your boss or someone is being much more nice to you knowing they need to improve the relationship to build that um how do you sort of respond to that and sort of grow and accept that from either end as the boss and the employee that you both need to improve the business rather than just seeing um like having a great relationship can build great businesses but then knowing it's a bit turned or something and then having to create a great relationship like the boss starts asking you hey you going how are you feeling you're ready to approach the day today um when last week because they got you in Stuart um they didn't they weren't asking that how do you approach that so the, the shift you know how, the, how do you... The, the shift like your boss sort of now taking consideration to your sensitivity um, to what you do in your day-to-day -to, -day to get the most for you, that business. How do you, like a shift in the relationship, I suppose, for that without thinking, oh, he's just doing it because he wants to improve the business or something like that. He's just doing it because he's about to lose the farm or something. Is that scenario played out much at all? Um, people being a bit more negative, like, or even tall poppy syndrome of, shutting people down you're just being nice to build the business it was no like i've got a genuine reason to like you and talk and build a relationship is that something that's ever discussed or not really needed i think what's coming to mind is um two things um but the first is the, the notion of open and honest conversations yeah. so you know, I can imagine that if some if if a leader suddenly shows up very differently, yep. and they've been you know a bit of a jerk prior to that, that's probably going to cause suspicion, right? Yeah, um, I'd be, be suspicious of that. Um, so that's where you know uh, an open and honest conversation that 
maybe the boss or the dad or the family leader has where they say, hey, you know, things things haven't been going that well. We're all aware of that. I've been doing my own reflection and my own work and my own learning, and I've realised A, B and C. And I want you to know I'm endeavouring to change that, and you'll see it show up because I'm going to show up. I'm going to endeavour to show up differently. I won't get it right all the time, but, you know, and that sort of humility um, on the leader to, to be open and vulnerable and transparent like that is super important. And that can, and you might get a particularly difficult employee that just sits still, you know, stays with their suspicion. And over time, they not, may, not, they not, may not be a right fit for you. Um, but, yeah, I think that open and honest sort of thing. I think the other, um, maybe this is a phrase that people can take away, but we talk about... Um, the notion of rigor and regard. And this comes from the work of um, a group called the Arbinger Institute who wrote a couple of books. The first was called The Anatomy of Peace. Fantastic um, read. Um, and then a follow-up, which I can't remember the title of, but um, anyway, really great for families and really great for businesses. Um, they talked about this idea of rigour and regard, and we've just taken it on almost as our own, but it's the notion that there is a job to do, there are responsibilities, and there's there's accountability around that. You know, you, um, you work for me and I have some expectations and I'm going to hold you to those expectations. And if you're not, if I've been clear and you're not performing, we are going to have a conversation about and that's the about that. That's the rigor part that I'm prepared to do that. The regard part is that I will do that. I'll conduct that conversation. You know, in aware of the humanity of the other. This is a legitimate other person that I'm dealing with here, and just because I happen to be paying their salary doesn't give me the right to be abusive or you know, swear at them or anything. It doesn't give me that right. So rigour and regard and and people tend to fall on one side or the other. So you get you get statements like, oh, I can't talk to them about that because you know they're suffering from a mental health issue, as an example. So I can't talk to them about that. Well, that's acknowledging the regard, but the rigour is still, a, even with mental health issues, and there might be some allowances that are made for that as with all other illness there, there might you know there'll be some allowances made but in the end the business needs a job done so you can see that you know regard might win out and the business really suffers or it can be the other way around it's like i pay the bills you know you just do what i want you to do and there's no regard for the other so balancing those is rigor and regard um really great way to think about it i think so we've had like a bit of framework, touched on frameworks put in place, um, starting with your 10, 12 and 15 year old kids, or if you're that 10, 12 or 15 year old kids to um, set up those frameworks from the very beginning and um, establish that relationship to build together as a family. For those coming in to the family from the outside as an employee, how do we include them into our family farming culture and without them feeling out of place because they're not the kid 
Um, although like same wage, same everything, same superannuation, like that ad. What and how can we sort of make sure they feel at home with the culture and the relationship building? Yeah, I think it goes back to those, you know, those three leadership responsibilities of organizing work, developing trust-based relationships and nurturing trust-based relationships and developing people and the intentional structure. So, again, if you think that a worker can come in and they'll just get it, I mean, that's that's crazy. They, they themselves come probably from another workplace. Yep. They obviously come from another family, maybe another location. They've got a completely perhaps different way of viewing the world. So they have to be onboarded with intentional structures. Now, there might be... You know, there might be intentional um, orientation type stuff goes on and, and that's all good and it, it needs to happen. But there's, yeah, you would have a series of here's the way we do things here. Yeah. You know, and, and I would imagine that in toolbox meetings or in, you know, um, uh, sort of month, monthly check-ins when they first start, you're reiterating, here's what we stand for yep. and here's what it looks like. But you can't expect them just to pick it up by osmosis and then when they're, when they're not doing it, be frustrated with them, you know, if you haven't taught them. So, again, it, intentional structures. Is it possible to put it down on a piece of paper, like literally, um, for onboarding about what you stand for and uh, what your business's standards are? Yeah, I think I think it can. It goes by various forms. It might be an articulation of values. Yeah. Is our values? You know, we um, we value openness. What that means in practice is, if you're out in a paddock and something happens and it's your fault, we don't want you to be afraid to come and tell us about it because we're not going to torch you over it. You know, so that that might be. Um, a way of doing that um, in that situation, but then it might be something like a code of conduct. Here's a code of conduct, and I'll and they can become just bits of paper that sit in a file on a computer, or you can actually, you know, in a toolbox meeting, you might pick up one of those a week, you know, and say, hey, let's just talk about this one as part of our um, toolbox uh, meeting. So these are, yes, it can be codified. But, you know, you don't want to just holding people to a piece of paper. You know, it's got to be. Yeah, there's got to be flexibility within yeah, it. Yeah. Do you think that flexibility is more so within the farming game? Um, like there's got to be a bit of give and take in also like to work with the piece of paper, but also work with relationship and also on the day's common sense. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's not just farming. That's that's across any industry is like, I, I, you know how you have those calls with um, the big corporates like, you know, Optus or Telstra, you know, one of those. And you get so frustrated because all you want is this thing to happen and they can't do it for you, you know, because their systems won't do it or there's a policy in place. And I've often thought if I could somehow teach judgment, teach people how to make a judgment call, I'd be so wealthy if I could if I could teach them that, you know. So I but I do think this this idea of we have to make judgment calls, but what are those judgment calls based on? Yeah. If you've got, for example, a set of values, that's where things like values, 
well, what do we stand for in our family, in our family business? You can actually go back and say, look, we value openness. That wasn't really very open what you did there, but let's talk about it because I can probably understand you're still getting used to this and, yeah. you know, whatever. So does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think maybe putting even the judgment within a bracket for the farmhand to the manager um, and also if you work within that sort of spectrum, um, that that's fine if it was either the, the best call or not the best call to make. You made that decision. You were out in the paddock on your own. Um, to come to a decision quick enough, I reckon on farm we probably don't come to decisions quick enough um, to make, just make one. Like Obama said, if he was 51% um, leaning towards yes, he would go with that rather than, waiting to get to 100%. I like that yeah, quote. Yeah, I, I like I like that. And and that's where it gets down to, you know, back to building culture. So <laughs> do you want your staff to be innovative and have initiative? Yeah. Uh, let's use initiative. Do you want them to have initiative? Well, what does initiative look like? You know, what are the boundaries around initiative? You know, do they get to, you know, do they have authority just to ring up the mechanic to come and fix a piece of machinery without telling you um do they have do they have that authority well they might in one business and they might not in another so being clear about you know levels of authority and levels of decision making and again you know when you and i talk about it like this it sounds like oh, it's all way too much for our little farm but when you strip it back, it's it's actually just having conversations with people, reaching agreements and making commitments. We're actually doing that all the time, um, no matter no whether no matter whether you're running a big corporate or a three-person farming enterprise. I think like the example of going to the mechanic to call him out to fix the machine, whatever it may be, is pretty important. Sounds super basic. Um but that may put you on the front foot for six months' time. It comes harvest time. You can't actually um, devote some time towards that machine yourself and you never end up calling anyone. So it just gets in the backlog and then something else yeah. goes in the backlog and it just, <clears throat> once you like, tackle that initially or allow someone else to tackle it, um, delegation within the farming game is pretty important as well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I'm just reflecting now as we're talking, Jack, that that, that topic, say, of initiative is a really good one. Yeah. You know, often in a, in a sort of a job ad, you know, we want someone with initiative. Okay. So in our farm, what does that look like? In day-to-day in -day practice, what does initiative look like? Because it could look like overstepping or arrogance or, you know, not being accountable, it could look like a whole bunch of things depending on the lens that you personally are looking at it through. So it's all back to having the right conversations. Yeah, I think like going back to trust and accountability, I think I hit an inflection point on our farm where I, I stopped trying to cover up my mistakes when I was younger. Like if I left the gate open or something, no, it wasn't me. But like na nowadays, yeah, I did that, um, try to fix it or whatever rather than covering it up, I think it's a good thing. As kids of off a farm as well. Yeah. So that's part of the culture of your farm. Yeah. And your well, your family is openness. Sounds like it took you a while to get there. 
to um, for whatever reason. Um, we've all got our journeys, but that becomes part of the culture that you'll then instill in the next generation as well. Absolutely. And going with a takeaway from this episode, Stuart, what what do you think people should take away from this? Like I have an underlying theme for this year that really only I knew, but it was frameworks, policies, processes for family farms. What would be a key takeaway for that? I think um, I think that WRD model, you know, that the role of a leader, yep. whatever enterprise is, to organise work, nurture trust-based relationships and develop people. And if you don't know how to do those things, then just get some help because there's plenty of, there, there is help available. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, Intentional structure, conversational competence, yep. documenting things, yeah, probably intentional structure around building culture. Um, but it would be the WRD, probably with intentional structure. Yep. As well. we'll have to share that one out on the socials. For the rest of the year, um, what are you looking forward to coming up? Um, actually, being a business owner, I I often forget to book in holidays. Yeah. <laughs> And my business partner is really good at booking in holidays, so I'm way behind. So we're actually booked a holiday to um, go down sort of around the south coast all the way around to Esperance and all that with some friends in November. I am actually really looking forward to doing that. And then December, a trip to Sydney to visit some of my wife's family. So they're the things I'm really looking forward to. It's pretty shallow, isn't it? <laughs> but a good thing they're all relationship building they are and they're refreshing personally so yeah that's that's what i'm looking forward to always working on it if anyone's looking to reach out where are you most where do you hang out the most is it in your emails on socials uh email is a good way and you can yep. contact us through um the website oasispc.com.au you can you can email me direct from there um or my email address, that's the best way, yeah. Or you might find me, they can find me on LinkedIn um, as well. Beautiful. Well, hopefully this episode um, was the invitation for you as a listener to create openness within your own farming enterprise. Stuart, thanks for coming on. I love these chats and I think we initiative might be the next episode. We'll work on it. Sounds good. Really great to talk with you, Jack. What did you get out of this episode? This piece of farm's advice was pretty pretty cool to hear, pretty, um, you need to be quite aware of yourself. Looking at this episode and how we can work a lot better within Australian agriculture and especially on family farms, we've got interesting dynamics of how everything works out. Um, there's no right, there's no wrong, but there is a way forward and better ways of doing things. Um, not assuming what we're doing as well as people within the organization of our family farms but i thought this was a really interesting episode we'll be building on this as well with stuart might rack one up before the end of the year but that's coming up pretty quickly as well so you can count on him being on the potty next year as well but if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast please can you do so now so that we can help well 
so you can help this podcast grow and other farmers out there can actually find the podcast itself so they don't have to travel to town they don't have to go to events they can get the content get really good content and also go to those events more informed take the ideas back to the family table and build a better farming enterprise optimize over expansion or expansion wherever you are in your career until next time keep on farming and i'll see you next tuesday This conversation does not stop there. Follow FarmsWise on all of your socials. Share the episode with your mates. Like, comment, play out, subscribe. But until then, keep on farming and we'll see you next Tuesday.